Hi, and welcome back to the Story Savant Podcast, where we geek out about stories and pull insights from them that will make us better human beings, all while going about our day, raising the kids, paying the bills, and striving to become passionate, empathetic players in our own lives. You feel me? I'm Liesl Hill, author, entrepreneur, and story lover. I believe consuming stories in any form encourages Christian values, increases spirituality, and helps us develop a more transcendent, godlike understanding of the world around us, the universe at large, and God's plan for us in it. Come join me. Let's talk stories. Good morning, and welcome to the Story Savant podcast. Today, I'm going to be sharing my nine essential plot points for a page-turning story. This will help you to understand what makes a great story, what keeps readers captivated, and why you love all your favorite stories. Insert intro music. Okay, how's everyone doing today? I'm going to start by giving a little bit of a personal update. I have not given personal updates on my first two podcasts, but fiction readers who are listening have asked me to give those. I've mentioned in my intro episode, episode one, that I write across three genres. I just finished writing the final book in my Street Games series. It's a five-book true crime series about a woman and a cop and a serial killer, and it has to do with a lot of sibling dynamics. One thing you'll probably learn about me as we go along is I come from a very large family. I'm one of 12 siblings, and we're all pretty close, so I do tend to write ensemble casts of characters, as you might say, rather than just one or two, and it's because I've always been surrounded by so many people and so much chaos, and that's just kind of the way that my stories come out. So yeah, I just finished that. It's still in its editing phase, and I'm hoping to get it published sometime in March. After that, I'm going to dive back into Intercron. Intercron is my dystopian series. There are three books out currently. There's going to be six. The fourth one is mostly written, but what I'm going to do with it is I'm going to finish all three books and kind of rapid release the last three books in the series. Some months ago, I was on Ella Barnard's podcast. I'll link to that in the show notes. It's it's a very author-centric podcast, and I explained that I really, up until 2019, I was really kind of dabbling in writing. I would write a book in one series and then jump to a different series and and I kind of going back and forth and that's really not the smartest way in terms of running your writing like a business to do it but it's what I was doing and then I kind of finally buckled down about a year ago and decided to be a little bit smarter about the way that I release my books. So what I'm planning for this year as of 2020 is I'm going to get the rest of Intercron written. That's my next project. I'm hoping to have it written by the end of March. It won't be released by then, you understand. And then the rest of the year I'm going to be working on Dragon Magic. Dragon Magic is exactly what it sounds like. It's a high fantasy, long form series. I've been actually writing it for a long time. I've been, again, very much dabbling, working on it very spotty here and there for three or four years. I've been sending out snippets of it to my email list and I'm getting a lot of really positive feedback. So I have a lot of people that are waiting for that series and I'm very, very excited to get it out. I want to write as many books as I can so that I can rapid release them. So I'm probably not going to start releasing them until closer to the end of 2020. I have promised my email list that I will release it this year. I will not wait till 2021, even if I don't get as much written as I had planned. So anyway, that's kind of what my writing plans are for this year in terms of what I'm working on. And on that subject, uh, I wanted to read something. So this is a relatively new podcast at this point. I don't have too many comments yet, though I am getting a few here and there. But over the weekend, I got into my author email and I received probably the nicest email I have ever received on the topic of authoring and my books, and I wanted to read it. It's from one of my email subscribers whose name is Michaela. I had been already emailing back and forth a little bit with Michaela because she had approached me and asked, 
asked if there were going to be more Intercron books. She really loves the series and had read through the first three. So I answered her and told her what I just told you. There would be three more and I'm just getting around to working on them. And then this is what she wrote me. She says, I am super excited to hear that there will be three more books and I cannot wait to read them. I feel like I needed to send this email to you. I am not one who generally has favorite authors. I mean, I have a lot of authors I like and love their books, but only a handful have ever been called a favorite, probably about five. And yet you have quickly soared to the top of that list. No matter what genre you write in, the book is phenomenal. The stories are amazing and well thought out, and everything I've read has been clean. Last year alone, I read over 400 books. Obviously, I read a lot. <laughs> yes, very obviously. I have read six of your books, and every one of them easily makes it into the top 10 list of books I have read in my life. Oh, my heart. I read books from the beginnings of series all the time, and while I want to read more, never until I read your first Intercron book have I been so captivated. I have never had to go and purchase the subsequent books. Finances do not allow for the purchase of many. However, after not being able to think of anything other than that book for over 24 hours, I had to get the other two books you had listed. This is something unheard of for me. I just thought I'd let you know how incredible an author you are. Michaela, thank you so much for that. Not only is that just absolutely beautiful to hear, but I will tell you that I had kind of a rough week last week. Not anything I'll talk about in the podcast, personal stuff, a little bit of family drama going on, but it just kind of made for something of a tumultuous week. And so I really needed to hear that. And it just absolutely melted my heart. So thank you so much. I, I can't even tell you how much that meant to me. And I'm so glad that you're enjoying all the series, but especially Intercron. For my listeners, let me just tell you right now, you cannot pay an author a higher compliment than telling them how much you love their books. You are the reason we write. So if nobody else reads the last three books in Intercron, Michaela, I will get them written for you. I promise. I'm working on it. So don't ever hesitate to tell authors how much you love their work. It means a lot to them, I promise. Okay, let's get into the topic today. I'm going to share my nine essential plot points for a page-turning book. Now, this, of course, is going to be very valuable to authors or aspiring authors who are writing, but I think it's also interesting for people who are just readers and not writers because it will help you understand why you love the stories you love so much. Have you ever read a book or watched a movie and it wasn't really jiving for you? You didn't really know why? And you could even go back through and go, no, I liked the characters. The premise was pretty good, but I don't know, overall, eh. Okay, chances are when that happens, we're missing a major plot point. We're missing a major component that makes it just not resonate the way that it should. So let me give you an example. I don't think I'm going to name the book, but there was a really popular book several years ago. You would all know it if I named it. And I had not read it because it kind of notoriously had a lot of editing issues. And I, I wasn't super into the subject matter either. But my sister read it. And she was kind of in a don't judge me, I read this book sort of mode, and I just kind of laughed, and I said, well, my main problem with it, I mean, I, I'm not into the subject matter, but I kind of don't read it on principle because the editing is so bad, and of course, she's not an author, so she didn't, that didn't really mean a lot to her, and I said, okay, let me ask you this, were there times when you were reading it that it was kind of hard to read and kind of hard to stay in the story, and you felt like you had to read it a couple of times to, to stay in there, and she went, yeah, actually, that happened a lot in that book, and I went, okay, that's why. Most readers, or even if you're watching Netflix, you, it's hard to pinpoint why you don't like a story or why it loses you. I mean, usually you come up with, oh, it was kind of boring or it was kind of slow or something. But really, I mean, I'm sure that's true, but really it's because it's missing an essential component. It's missing a plot point. It's missing some resonance that does not keep you hooked. This is going to explain how to keep a reader hooked because you need all of these components in a story in order for it to really be 
a good, satisfactory story. As I said last time, I'm going to use The Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, as an example. I'm actually, since then, I've been thinking, and I'm going to give you a second example as well. I'm going to use Star Wars A New Hope, because that's a story most people are pretty familiar with. That way you get two different examples for each plot point, and you can kind of start to see how it might function differently in different stories. So, nine plot points. Let's start with an intro to these plot points. Plot points or storycraft is obviously not specific to me. These are the plot points I use, and I did come up with these in the sense that I use these particular points in this particular order to do my writing, but it's not like I pulled them out of thin air either. If you read Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey, actually the first system like this I heard I got from Dan Wells. He had seven plot points. A really popular one is called Meet the Cat. It's got 15 plot points. By It's a book cut by Brad Snyder, and that focuses very much on Hollywood screenplays, but the point is story beats are not new. So I really can't take credit for these. They're the ones that after reading a lot of storycraft books and looking at it from a lot of different angles that I see as essential and that I use to write my stories. Understand that these story points are not the entire story. This will create a skeletal, bare-bones story, and then you still have to go and fill in all the information. So this is not going to cover every single event, every single detail of the story. This is very, very bare-bones. So let's dive in. If you're worried about wanting to take notes on this and retain these, you don't have to. There is a link in the bio to get a PDF of my nine essential plot points by joining my email list. So you can click the link in the show notes, not the bio. I've been doing social media lately, can you tell? And you can get these. So if you're, especially if you're driving or jogging or something, don't worry about taking notes. You can download these later. All right, it starts out with the world before. This is the very beginning of your story, basically before anything happens. It is the kind of status quo that the character is in before the adventure starts, before any conflict is introduced. So for Frodo in The Lord of the Rings, the world before is just Frodo living a peaceful life in the Shire. He's good. That's his life. For Luke Skywalker in A New Hope, it is that he is a farmer living with his aunt and uncle on the planet. And of course, he's always dreaming of, of adventure, but... He hasn't really gotten any to speak of. Second main plot point is the intro of the conflict. The main character's world changes in some way. So you have the world before, and then there's some sort of change. It's a great time to introduce the villain, introduce the problem the world produces, or an overarching conflict. And often this is the character just getting information about something. So for Frodo, the change in his world came when Gandalf comes back and tells him about the One Ring and Sauron. Frodo didn't know anything about that before. This changes his world a little bit. It's not anything that's actually happening. It's just information he's getting, but this gives him a whole new perspective on the world around him outside the Shire that he had no idea about before. For Luke Skywalker in A New Hope, this would be the droids showing up. It's not going to change his world in a huge way, but these are new droids, new experiences, and I would submit that the intro of the conflict in that movie could actually extend through when he meets Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan, you know, asks him to come study with him, and Luke says no, and pretty much his world isn't really changing just yet. He He's still going to be a farmer. He's still going to do as his uncle asked and stay for another season. He's got new droids, but again, just not a huge, huge change, just the intro of something that's a little different than before. All right, the third plot point is called Escalation Number One. It's often in other systems called The Call to Adventure. Things get worse. Pressure is put on the characters. This is a great place for something really big to happen, heart-pounding action, things that are beyond the character's control. It's always very important to note that at this point, they are reacting, mostly out of desperation. For Frodo, this is where Gandalf sends him out of the Shire with the ring and the Black Riders show up, okay? So you get the heart-pounding action. There's these crazy black creatures that are that are chasing him, and he's running from them and trying to hide from them, okay? This is the call to adventure. This is the action point. 
And Frodo is reacting to what's happening because they are chasing him. He's not obviously choosing to be chased. For Luke, the call to adventure comes when his aunt and uncle die. He, you know, again, we got that heart pounding. He's running home to, to try and, and get to his aunt and uncle and it's too late. But now this is the point that really changes their world. Where before it was just a change in how they understood their world or a change in the information. Now it's what some people call there's a point of no return. Luke's not going to go back to his old life with his aunt and uncle. Frodo is not going to go back to the Shire, at least not right away, because he has these people chasing him and he's got to get the ring to Rivendell and there's just no going back right now. The fourth plot point is called the turning point. And this is important because the characters finally make a decision. They go from reaction to action. Until now, things have acted upon them. With the fourth plot point, they take their fate into their own hands and decide to do something. This usually follows them getting information they didn't previously have. Back to Frodo. I see the turning point for the Fellowship of the Ring to be the Council of Elrond. As the plot point says, he just got new information, tons of backstory and new information at the Council of Elrond, but he decides to take the Ring to Mordor. At that point, he did not have to do that anymore. He could have handed it off to somebody else and said, I'm done, I'm going back to the Shire, but he stands up and chooses to take it on himself and take the ring to Mordor. So he is no longer being acted upon or reacting. He is now acting and making a decision. For Luke, some people might see Luke choosing to go with Obi-Wan as the turning point after his aunt and uncle died, but that's actually not what it is for me. He went with Obi-Wan because his aunt and uncle died. So that is still something acting upon him. If his aunt and uncle hadn't died, he wouldn't have gone. So the real turning point comes when he makes a decision to do something, takes an initiative. So this, for me, comes when the Millennium Falcon is boarded and they find themselves above the Imperial ship. Obi-Wan goes to mess with some controls and make sure that the ship can get away. And then they find out that Princess Leia is there. And Luke is the one who steps forward and says, we have to go get her. I know that Obi-Wan told us to stay here, but he didn't have this information. So again, there's the information, new information he didn't have before. He finds out she's there. He takes the initiative and sort of strong arms Han and Chewie into helping him. And so he's taking the initiative. And that's an important point for the characters, because even though in the moment it may seem like that's about the only thing they could do, Luke didn't have to do that. And that is him, even sometimes unconsciously, taking the mantle of this adventure on himself. He's choosing to be part of it now. So that's an important plot point for the characters. Next plot point, number five, is escalation number two. At this point, things get much, much worse. This can take the form of a mentor or friend dying, the bad guys winning a great victory, some key part of the plan being lost, or some vital piece of information they didn't have before coming back to bite them in the butt. This is anything that puts their success in doubt or causes despair. Fellowship of the Ring, the death of Gandalf. Actually, in both these examples that I'm using, it's the death of the mentor that is the escalation. You know, they're on this journey... It's been already difficult, but they're making progress. They've already been sidetracked at one point and had to go through Moria rather than over the mountain. So they've already hit some obstacles, but they're still, they're, they're trucking along, they're making progress. And then Gandalf is killed by the Balrog and that's just knocks all of them on their butt. That was so depressing. And it really starts to feel like, can we actually do this? Maybe we're not actually going to be able to accomplish our goals. For Luke, of course, like I said, it's the mentor again. It's Obi-Wan dying. That was not something he planned on. That was something that was very devastating for him. So things just got a lot worse. And the next plot point I have is the climax. The, the climax can have a lot of different definitions depending on what you're talking about and who you're talking to. For purposes of these plot points, the climax is the confrontation between your main character and the major conflict or villain. 
I have a note here, if it's a series you're talking about, the overarching villain may not appear until the end, but there's still a major conflict for the character in this installment. L let me come back to that in just a minute. So for the examples, if we're talking the Fellowship of the Ring and not the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy, specifically for the Fellowship, and think about the movie, the climax comes when Frodo is standing on the bank of the river and toying with the idea of whether he can take the ring into Moria by himself or not. Now, this is kind of an internal struggle, but it's also him versus the ring. He's looking at the ring and trying to decide if this is something that he can actually accomplish, if he's willing to try and defeat the ring, as it were, by taking it into Mordor. And that becomes his personal climax. Now, you could also talk about the climax being just before that, what causes him to run to the river is the Urukai show up. And so the main Urukai was one of the main villains for the first movie, the one that Aragorn eventually kills. So there was definitely a secondary climax there between Aragorn and that villain who he kills. Spoilers, if you haven't seen this, you all, you've had about 15 years now. So that's kind of on you. And it's, uh, you know, on that subject, it's important to note that there can be more than one climax, especially if you have more than one storyline. You have the main storyline and then kind of a secondary storyline. Each one's probably going to have its own climax, and that's totally okay. For Luke, the climax is, of course, going to be the Death Star, the end. So it's him versus the Death Star. We don't get a really direct confrontation between him and Darth Vader. The confrontation between him and Vader, because this is a series, can come later, but we get a little bit of one, because Vader's in the spaceship behind him trying to blow him up. So it's kind of like Luke doesn't entirely know that. But so for Luke, his main confrontation is the Death Star. The Death Star becomes the villain in that moment. He's going to overcome the Death Star by destroying it. But he doesn't realize that there's kind of a secondary confrontation going on that he's not entirely aware of with Vader behind him trying to kill him. But obviously, he triumphs in both cases. Now, one thing I want to say about the last few plot points here is that the last few, like so far, the plot points have been kind of leaping through the story. We have this and then the next plot point will come quite a few pages or good 15-20 minutes if we're talking about a movie later, right? But these some of these last few plot points, they can they're all part of the climax, and I include them because they're so important for the character's transformation. In a way, when I first came up with these, I was teaching myself to write a good story, and these th were things that I thought were super important, and I cannot forget to put that into the story because then it'll be a story that doesn't resonate. But these last few plot points, they all kind of happen on top of each other in the climax and can even be a little bit interchangeable sometimes. So as long as they're included, just keep that in mind. So you have the climax, which is the confrontation between the hero and the major villain or conflict. You always have a moment of uber despair. That's what I call it. It's also been called Dark Knight of the Soul, different things that have darkness in them. It's the moment when the character doesn't think he's going to be able to overcome. Okay, this is the character's lowest point. They are positive they're about to fail. They are not going to be able to do what they've been trying to do. They're not going to attain their objectives. So there's no hope. It's uber despair. So for Frodo, he actually has kind of two things he's grappling with during the climax. He's grappling with whether he is up to taking the ring to Mordor, whether he can do it or not, and also the fact that he'll have to, as he believes, do it alone. So his moment of uber despair is just when he's sitting there thinking about the ring and he doesn't believe that he's up to the task of taking it to Mordor. For Luke, the uber despair, of course, comes during the climax when he's trying to blow up the Death Star. Um, there's a moment when another spaceship that has a friend of his in it and is really close by blows up. And he realizes that he is the only one left. And you can just kind of see that he's starting to tremble a little bit. He doesn't know if he can do it. He doesn't know if he's up to it. And of course, everybody else has been killed. And so that doesn't inspire much confidence. That is his uber despair. Finally comes the aha moment. The aha moment is the solution to the character's dilemma. Most often, it comes from something they already possess, have within them, or have already done, but probably don't realize it. 
So again, Frodo has kind of two things he's grappling with. The solution to whether or not he's up to taking the ring to Mordor comes in the form of a memory of something Gandalf said to him in the cave. He said, all you have to do is to decide what to do with the time that is given to you. And that makes Frodo realize that it's not really about whether he's strong enough. It's about what he decides to do. And he decides that he's already committed to this. He can do it. He wants to do it. So there's the solution to his dilemma. For the second one, he's afraid of going alone. And of course, the solution to that comes in the form of Samwise Gamgee. It's important to realize that by the time we get to this moment, the character needs to have everything they need to solve the problem. If some outside influence is introduced here to suddenly save the day, it kind of rings false. So in both these examples, for Frodo, this is stuff that was laid out earlier in the movie. Of course, there was the memory of Gandalf saying that to him. We already saw that. And with Samwise, it's very clear by this part in the story that Sam is very loyal to Frodo, and they have a really great friendship. Both the memory of Gandalf and Sam become solutions to the dilemma. For Luke in A New Hope, the solution comes in the form of the (laughs) very famous Use the Force Luke line. Again, this is something that was laid out before in the story. He already has everything he needs to blow up the Death Star. He already has the Force. He already has the lessons that Obi-Wan gave him, even though Obi-Wan is gone. He doesn't need anything else. He doesn't even need the targeting computer. He just needs to believe in himself. So the solution comes in the form of Obi-Wan's voice in his head prompting him to use the Force, and he does. All right, so that is the aha moment that kind of solves the final dilemma. And then the final plot point is the resolution. This is pretty much what it sounds like. It's just the ending. This resolves the major conflicts in this installment. If we're dealing with series, which both Lord of the Rings and Star Wars are series, then it is just a really good summing up place, a good place to stop the story. Usually, if we are going to have another installment, there will be something that will kind of kick us into the next installment. So for Frodo, the resolution is just Frodo and Sam heading into Mordor. So his major conflict at the end was whether he was up to going to Mordor, and this solves it. He has decided that he is, and he's going, and of course he has Sam with him. And the fact that we see them heading into Mordor is what kicks us into the next book. We know that it'll pick up there in the second installment. For Luke, of course, it's just returning to base, getting lots of hugs and high fives, and then getting a medal. So again, good place to stop the story. We've resolved the major conflicts. The biggest thing they were trying to overcome in that first installment was to destroy the Death Star, and that has been done. And the thing that kicks us into the next installment is seeing Darth Vader in his ship. Remember, he didn't get blown up. He kind of got tiddlywinked out into space, and we see him kind of finally get control of his ship. So we know that the major villain, arch villain, is still out there and that there's more story to tell. Okay, those are the nine essential plot points for a page-turning story. You can use these on a lot of different levels. When I am planning a new story or a new series, I use them all the time for pretty much every stage of planning. So I will use the nine plot points for every major character arc across the entire series. I will, of course, also use it for specific installments. So I'll use it for book one, book two, etc. You can even use them to write scenes. And I do that not with every scene by any means, but probably, oh, I don't know, a third or a half the time. I do it pretty often. I usually already know what's going to happen in a scene. I already have my objectives that I need to accomplish in a particular scene or chapter. But sometimes when I sit down to write, I'm having a hard time working out the exact events within that chapter that will accomplish what I want. So if I'm having trouble with that, I sit down with the nine plot points and I kind of figure out what I already know about the scene. And then I go, okay, so I need something to kick off the action. I need a call to adventure. And then, okay, uh, let's see, I need a turning point. What is going to be the point that the character makes a decision and that's what the scene will turn on? You know, things like that. So they can be used for a lot of things. If you hit all these plot points, you'll have at least the skeletal structure of an awesome story that people will... (laughs) just want to keep reading. They won't be able to put it down. 
and understand that this particular template, the story structure has been used for stories since the dawn of time, since before people knew what story structure was, all the way back to Beowulf and Grendel, the Iliad, I mean, the Bible, you name it, like this, you can find the story structure. And as I said, there's different formats of it. There's things that have a lot more pl plot points than I've laid out here that kind of divide these plot points into more than one part. And then there's formats that go in the opposite direction that have m many fewer, like something like the three-act structure or the four-act structure, where everything is divided into three or four parts rather than individual points. But the point is that this story structure has been around forever. I'm going to wrap up now because it's getting a little bit long. In the next episode, I will talk a little bit more about the craft of writing, about plotting versus pantsing. If you don't know what that is, you're probably not a writer, tune in, find out what it is. I'm going to talk about kind of the psychology of these nine plot points, because it's just one thing to say, this is the story that keeps readers engaged. But why? Why this particular structure? Why are we sort of wired for this template? I'm going to talk about that a little bit. And that's going to get into a little bit more of the psychology of it and the spirituality of it and all of that. So tune in next time for that. I hope you guys enjoyed the nine essential plot points, and I hope they're helpful to you. If you're a writer, go look at your current work in progress and see if you can identify these plot points. For all you writers out there, you're probably already doing this to a certain extent. I actually wrote two or three of my books before I knew anything about plot points. And when I went back and looked, actually, I had them all. I had all of these nine plot points. And that's just because writers who consume story, they kind of inherently have a pretty good idea of what makes a good story. So chances are you're already writing most, if not all of these plot points already. But it's nice to have them because if you find that your story is kind of sagging in the middle, or if you don't know where to go with it next, you know, you've got a little bit of block, these can help you to get there to have at least some idea of what kind of thing you need. And then you can figure out what it is. If you're not a writer, if you're just a reader and a consumer of stories, then go find your favorite book or your favorite movie or your favorite Netflix series and see if you can identify these plot points. If something is worth watching and you love it, I promise the plot points are there. Any story that is stood the test of time, that has gotten a lot of fame because people liked it, I promise the plot points are there. The ones that people don't like, that fall a little flat, chances are they're missing a plot point. So go do that and maybe even find a story that you didn't like that fell flat and see if you can identify what it's missing that makes it fall flat. All right, so I will see you next time. If you would like to support the show as a patron, hop over to www.patreon.com forward slash story savant. If you're big on Facebook, join our Facebook community at bit.ly forward slash story savant Facebook to get a free PDF of my nine essential plot points for a page turning story. Sign up at bit.ly forward slash story savant courses. All these links are in the show notes. Thanks for joining me today. You can find all my fiction on my website at authorlkhill.com forward slash books. If you found value in anything you heard today, do me a favor and go leave me a review on iTunes. It's the best and easiest way that you can thank me and help others to find and be inspired by the same concepts. Together, we can lift each other through our stories to new heights of understanding and compassion for our fellow man and gain an eternal godlike perspective on our own spirituality. So go consume some stories today. I give you permission.